0: Hi, everybody. I'm Seth Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Debbie O'Connor. Now, what Debbie doesn't know about brand building isn't worth mentioning. As the author of Brand Magic, How to Build a Brand with Personality, Debbie understands just what it takes to build a brand that customers connect with. <laughs> Let's just say it's more than just getting creative with a logo. Debbie has over 20 years experience working with businesses, helping them to create beloved brands, and her agency White River Designs is one of the most awarded in Australia. If you want to find out how to make branding or brand building a foundation of your business, then listen up, as Debbie has some incredible advice. Welcome Debbie, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yay! it's always good to have an excited guest. And I'm particularly excited about our topic that we're going to be talking today because you're an absolute whiz when it comes to branding and brand building. So can I ask you, what is it you think makes a brand connect with a customer?
1: I think there are a number of things. I don't think there's one silver bullet here. So when it comes to branding, what I like to look at is it's about uh, reputation building. But I do believe that if you have a strong brand personality, it gives you something that you can really connect your customer to. It helps you define what kind of language and tone you're going to create, what kind of brand experience you want for your customers, the type of culture you want. So I think it's a really good baseline to help you with your branding. But there's so many different elements to branding, which you would all know about.
0: But that's a conversation that should happen at the very beginning of, of your business as well.
1: Yes, I think this is something that almost becomes a bit of the foundation for your brand, because if you're able to discover what that personality is, it means that you almost create a persona for your brand, which If you do that from the beginning, it just means that everything can stay consistent from the get go, which I think when it comes to branding is a really important thing. A lot of people think that they need to mix things up and change things up. And what that often does is it creates confusion. Whereas if you stay consistent with your brand personality and the core messaging and your purpose, that is where you really start to create a connected brand.
0: Because I think sometimes there's a bit of confusion. People think of brand and they think, oh, my logo, you know, my, my colours. But it's, it's much more than um, getting creative with your logo, as I said, as you just said, you know, the brand personality and making it part of your foundation is, is so important.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think that's one of the biggest myths that I always come across is that people believe that their logo is their brand. And especially when you're a new startup, um, you're getting your business up and running and someone says you need to focus on your brand. They think that that means you go out, you get yourself a logo, you slap that on everything and that is branding. Um, That isn't branding. What we look at when we come to the creative side of the brand, as in the visuals, the the brand identity, that is one element of branding. So that includes your logos, your colors, your fonts, um, your type of imagery. And because we're such visual creatures, it is an important part of our brand, but it's not the core essence of our brand. And this is where there's a fundamental difference between just simply getting a logo and building a brand because what we want when we build a brand is for people to get that gut instinct. We all have it, you know, that gut instinct to say, do they want to work with you or don't they want to work with you? And a lot of that is built on your reputation that you start building when you're creating your brand.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I guess as a business owner, it's kind of easy to go, yeah, I want to make a brand that resonates with people, but it's it's not that simple, you know. You've got to really put some thought into it. And um, with your book, you've talked quite deeply into that psychological side of building a brand and the elements that go into that. Can you explain a little bit about that brand psychology and how you found um, Jung's archetypes to be extremely helpful? Went yes. It.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I find this particular part of the branding process fascinating. I absolutely love it. Um, and the reason why I've used Carl Jung's 12 archetypes is because they actually sit in our unconscious bias. So they're these 12 different personalities or archetypes as they're called. And the amazing thing is that we actually already know and understand all 12 of them. And this is the amazing piece. We don't have to be taught any of them. So if I were to say to you, an innocent maiden, a heroic prince, a ruler over all the land and a wise old woman, I bet you've conjured up in your mind, not only what they look like, but also their personality traits. And I would bet you a million dollars right now that that innocent maiden does not have short black spiky hair covered in tattoos, walking down the street, kicking over bins and swearing at people, right? (laughs) The brain is going, no, that's not the the innocent maiden. The innocent maiden doesn't do that. However, if I said to you, that is the rebel, your brain goes, oh, I get that. Yes, I completely understand that. Mm -hmm. So that is where these archetypes are so incredibly powerful because of the fact that they sit in our unconscious bias.
0: Mm. Do you think that um, with so much talk about, you know, breaking down unconscious bias and people trying to think outside of stereotypes, they're still really effective?
1: Um, Yes, I actually do because the baseline of it is always still the same. So these 12 archetypes, obviously, they are the the core, the main ones. These were the ones that Jung, when he studied hundreds and thousands of personalities, these were the ones that always kept popping up. Um, And we see them in our, our fairy tales, stories passed down from father to son, even in the movies that we watch today. They're all so powerful. However, in my book, what I actually do is I break them down even further into six additional family members. So it means that if you feel that the overarching archetype is a little bit too broad for your um, personality that you're wanting to develop for your brand, that there is a way of honing in underneath the core archetype. Um, for you to find more of a focused personality with a a couple of different attributes that start to come in as well.
0: Mm. So how do people go about narrowing down that, that particular archetype for their brand? What do they need to, like what are the questions they need to be asking themselves and how do they know which one is the right fit for them?
1: Yeah, so this is a really important piece of the puzzle is it's not about what you do. It's all about how you do it. And this is fundamentally the most important part of that because in the end, every hairdresser does the same thing. Every dentist does the same thing. Every concreter, everybody in your industry does exactly what you do. So if you are focusing your personality simply on what you do, You are pushing a boulder uphill. You are really trying to compete against the obvious, if that makes sense. So I'll I'll give you a little bit of an example here. So as, as a doctor or a nurse or a vet, people might think that you need to be the caregiver. That should be your personality. But essentially, being a caregiver is what you are actually doing. That is a core part of your industry and your profession. And if we were to take someone like uh, Dr. Patch Adams, now we saw Robin Williams in the movie Patch Adams um, many, many years ago. I don't know if you've watched it, but it's a fantastic movie. And it tells a story about this man who becomes a doctor later, later in life. And he uses the power of entertainment and laughter to try and help cure his, his patients. And so when we look at Patch Adams, his brand personality is that of the entertainer, not the caregiver, because what he does is obviously caring, but his personality piece is all about being fun and lighthearted and not taking himself that seriously. And therefore he's able to bring that essence through to his patients. So does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does make sense. Um, But I guess for a business owner, they're so kind of, um, especially our listeners that are um, in micro business and and soloists, what what they do is their identity. So how can they kind of separate that into the brand piece?
1: Yes. And I totally hear you there. So let me give you another example. And I hope these examples help because I I do like examples and storytelling. Um, So if we were to take, for example, Richard Branson and Virgin. So Richard Branson, he's, he's his own person. He's got his own brand, which is very much that of the Explorer. The Explorer is a bit of a pioneer. They're a thrill seeker. They're doing things independently and, um, you know, they love the thrill of the chase type of thing. However, Virgin on the other hand is what we would call the rebel, because let's face it, in the 80s, when he named his business Virgin, back then, that would have been absolutely taboo. That would have been shaking up the status quo and going against the norm and being quite disruptive. And as a brand, Virgin goes into different industries and really shakes up the status quo and does things completely differently. So what we're looking at here is going, okay, as Richard Branson, as his own personality and his own brand is entirely separate to the Virgin one. And it's looking at it going, okay, what do we want to become famous for? What do we, how do we want to do things that make us different to our competitors and that personality piece that can be put onto that?
0: So what if your, your business is already quite well established um, but it's not exactly attracting the attention you want, it's not oozing personality, it's all a bit bland, what, what can you do to fix that?
1: Yeah, and, and this is where I work with a lot of clients in this particular space because they've been, you know, plodding along doing their thing and really they've realized that they have a business but they don't have a brand. And what I mean by that is a business is simply transactional. So, you know, a, a kid on the side of the road selling lemonade is doing business because it's a transaction. However, brand is all about connection. Um, and so what they're realizing is well you know once someone's done a transaction there's no connection left and they feel well we, we don't have that brand piece that personality piece so what we do is we this and this is a, a great exercise for for any business to do is to look at what are you doing really well that actually connects with the customer what are they saying is oh I loved it when you did that I saw you did this I I heard from somebody that this is what you did with them or whatever the case is. When you hear all of those little positive nuggets of gold, tap into that because that is what is working really well for you. Now, if you don't have any of those, it is about sitting down and saying, all right, what do we need to do to now move forward to make sure that our brand does connect with the customer, not just on a transaction basis? So what are we doing that is just boring and mundane that we actually want to get rid of? What are the things that, where we can add some personality? And, you know, there's certain things that we just, we ignore every day where we could add personality. Um, Emails, for example, how do you sign off on your email? Um, Personality can come in simply in the way you greet someone. Do you say, dear Mr. Jones, dear John, hi John, good day mate. Um, How are you doing? You know, there's so many different ways just in a salutation that you can actually bring personality to the business. But what you need to do is sit down and go, right, if what we have right now is not working, we need to look at it and go, okay, this is where we want to be placed. This is what we want to be known for. Do you want to be known for the ruler, the best in your industry? Now, obviously, everyone wants to be known for that. But, like, is that the most important part Or would you like to be known as being fun and lighthearted? Or would you like to be known as a creative thinker, totally out of the box? Like understanding what it is that's really important to those core values for your business is important because by owning that space with that personality means that you can still be the best in your industry. So I want to give you another little example is um, we've got a fantastic brand here in Australia called Who Gives a Crap? Mm -hmm. and it's toilet paper and I mean it's just toilet paper there's nothing amazing about it however there really is something truly amazing about the brand because the brand is a bit of a double entente as in who gives a crap well you know hopefully you go to the toilet once a day or twice a day or whatever it is however um when it comes to uh who actually gives a crap do you care Do you actually really care about the world around us? Because if you do, then you should buy their toilet paper because they use sustainable, um, you know, everything in the business is about sustainability, recycle. They use bamboo, they they have a whole ecosystem around simply the the product itself. However, they also use part of their profit. I think it's 50% of their profit to um, hygienic services um, in third world countries. Mm. So you can now see that the business is more than simply selling toilet paper and the way they go about it is this light-hearted banter that they have, even in their name. You know, And so you can see how taking something as simple or mundane as toilet paper and turning it into a brand that really connects with people and it has a purpose behind it, and there's most certainly a personality there as well, that is what makes people go, right, I'm going to buy toilet paper from them um, as opposed to buying toilet paper from one of the big supermarkets.
0: Yeah, I think they're a really uh, interesting case study. I've spoken to Simon Griffiths a few times and he recognised that, you know, toilet paper before they came along, also all of the campaigns were, you know, the f- the fluffy bunny, the the happy puppy, the, like, yes. the soft That's pillow terrible. cases, like all these weird random things and very, very big, big companies that he thought they would have no chance of competing with so they thought like what what way could they attack it in terms of their their brand personality that would be different and of course he thought of humor yeah <laughs> so and there's, there's so just, much
1: toilet humor isn't there so he's yeah. nailed it
0: yeah and uh, something that the other one the other competitors couldn't actually go into that space because they were so cemented in the way that they'd done things before as well it's yeah. interesting it's so interesting
1: and it's fam- it's fabulous to watch and sort of play along as it were
0: mm. you know he sat on he did a, a a kickstarter and he sat on a toilet for 50 hours until they oh. raised the money to oh my start so, the business yeah and live streamed it yeah. <laughs> it was in like the very very early days of facebook live
1: Yeah, that's insane. And you look at something like that and you think, who would have ever thought to do that? Mm -hmm. Yet, that is exactly what he's done. It's something completely different. And he's gone, I'm just going to do a different spin on on toilet paper. But in the end, it's simply toilet paper. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, Another thing that uh, you speak about in your book is also using the five senses to help you create a brand experience. Could you dive into that a little bit for me?
1: Oh, yes. And this is something that I think as business owners, we don't delve into enough. Because as humans, what we want is to have an experience. Like if we have a really good experience, that sits in our memory, so that when somebody then comes along and says, "Oh, do you know a plumber or a great hairdresser or a dentist or whatever it is," um, that that muscle memory works for you, and you go, "Oh my gosh, I went to um, the best restaurant or you know a, a florist or whatever the case is." So. What What we need to do is tap into the five senses where we can. Now, obviously, if you are a bricks and mortar and you've got people walking into a store, you have so many more options to tap into the five senses because you've got touch. People can can touch your products. Um, You've got sight. You can make your displays look beautiful. You've got smell where people can actually you know, walk in and you might have a particular scent that is through candles or diffusers that you might have around. Um, you could even have taste where people can, you know, taste some of the products or, or whatever the, the case is. So, there's so many different elements that you can tap into. And so, I have people saying to me, but I'm an online business, you know, I sell, I sell products online. Well, the whole unboxing experience is such a big thing. Apple really pioneered the unboxing experience. And so if you are selling any products online, the packaging that the product comes in becomes part of that sensory experience, tapping into the sight and the touch and even the smell. You know, if if you spray um, you, a, a bit of... Uh, perfume or something onto any of that, it means that when people experience your brand, more of the senses are tapped into. And I've I've got a friend of mine who is a financial educator and everything she does is online. However, she has actually been able to use the sense of taste, even though Nobody can taste any of her products. But what she does is she loves Hague's chocolate. And Mm. so when she's explaining shares or, you know, putting money into property or whatever the story is that she's telling there, um, she uses these Hague's chocolate frogs. And so she'll have these chocolate frogs out and what she might do is bite into a frog to show how depreciation is happening. And so she's using the sense of taste To bring about this sweet sense of financial, you know, empowerment, as it were. Even though no one can taste it, they can imagine the taste of the frog. So, there are ways of being able to tap into the different senses to create an experience for your customers that becomes really memorable for them. And if we can utilize these senses as much as possible, that is a way that subconsciously we are connecting with our customer just that little bit more than someone who's not tapping into the senses
0: now what about the culture piece because you might get all of this right um on paper but if you don't have the team to help you back it up it can be problematic yeah
1: no, oh, absolutely. And this is where, you know, the the whole branding part of your brand is that process in saying, right, this is what we want to become famous for or known for, or when people are thinking about us, this is what we want them to think about us. Then the process of branding is actually making sure that everything you put into place means that the customer experiences that outcome. It's all well and good saying, we are fantastic at X, Y, and Z. And then you drop the ball and you don't actually deliver on X, Y, and Z. Then it means your brand is going to fall flat because you're not delivering on the promise to the customer. So, one of the most important things to do, and really your, your team is your, your biggest asset when it comes to your business, they can make or break it. When you speak to any business owner, one of the, the, the biggest challenges that they will say in business is, is having staff. And so if you can create a culture in the business, which is hard to do, you have to work on it, but it starts from the top and it filters down. And so the leader really needs to be the one to set the scene and say, this is how we treat each other. This is how we want to behave amongst each other and how we want our clients to be treated as well. So it's not just an internal culture. It becomes an external culture as well. And when you have businesses that are imploding from the inside, I tell you what, your clients absolutely know about it. So it is a really important piece of the puzzle.
0: So, what can you do if you see that um, that culture side of things is going off the rails? Are there oh, any yeah. quick fixes you, you can recommend?
1: Yeah, look, you you need to you need to put a stop to it immediately. Um, you know, if you notice that people are gossiping um, within the business, or people are talking behind your back, or you're hearing stories or anything like that, that the, the the biggest thing you need to do is bring everyone together and say, okay, this needs to stop. We are not going to behave like this. This is the culture of the business and this is how we want to move forward. And if you don't feel like you are equipped for that kind of conversation, that is when you need to turn to a business coach, a mentor, uh, someone like myself who comes in and deals with branding. Get someone in externally because you do tend to find that people sit up and take a little bit more notice when an expert comes in to help fix certain things. Mm. Um, Because if the problem is coming from the top, it's very hard to fix that when the the leader is not recognizing that there is a core problem there. They might be aware of it, but they don't want to think that they're the problem.
0: Mm. And then it comes back to reputation, doesn't it, as well? I mean, you want the the business and the brand to be able to stand by its reputation and if there's this other stuff going on in the background it can be very difficult to do that.
1: Absolutely. And now you can see it sort of comes full circle. So, you know, there's no one thing that makes up a brand. It's all these many little elements that actually compound and create that brand, which is then the reputation you want to give to the the world. And that reputation is also about becoming an employer of choice where people want to work for your company because they hear it's so fantastic and that you have a good environment and you've got great working conditions and people love to go to work and they enjoy being together and it just oozes out and it's easy to work with customers because they can see that everybody is happy and um, they all work well together.
0: Mm. Now I know at the very top of this conversation we said that You know, brand is much, much more than the logo, even though quite often that's people's go-to. But on an aside to that, can I ask, what about color psychology? Because it seems to be becoming, um, you know, coming higher up the ranks these days with people when they are actually considering things like doing their brand and branding. What, what's your thoughts on colour psychology?
1: Oh, it is so powerful. Um, I use the psychology of colour in when I'm working with my clients all the time. So um, I look at the psychology of colour, the psychology of shapes. There's also a psychology of shapes. Mm. Um, and uh, we, we then look at that psychology piece with the personality. And when you put those together, it becomes very powerful. But when it comes to colour, we already have... Um, preset determinations as to what color means to us. So, on one hand, the color red, if a woman is given a bunch of red roses, it means love and passion, right? But on the yeah. other hand, if someone is driving a red car, a a sexy red car. It's about the thrill and potential danger. Um, And if you see something cornered off with big red boarding, there's, there's usually danger around that as well. So colors have a lot of different meanings and understanding what those different meanings mean, not just for your brand, but also culturally as well. Um, So if you have an audience that is based not just in Australia, you might have a worldwide audience or you might have an audience that is specifically Asia as an example I'll take, is, um, you know, for, for us, the color white is all about purity and innocence. And so we get married in white because that is, what we perceive white to be. However, in Asian cultures, white is actually the color of death. Mm. They don't get married in white. They get married in red Red. because red is the color of love for them. And so if you understand the different understandings of color in the different cultures, then it means that you're starting to really tap in uh, to to the psychology of color. I, I worked with a client once who was in the re, um, the restaurant industry, and he said to me, "Oh, um, so what he used to do was go into restaurants and actually do the planning of the restaurant as to how the kitchen should be lay, laid out for the best service, and you know how the restaurant should be laid out to get the food out and." Um, as quickly and easily as possible. And he said, so I'd like a brand dip that we have the colors blue because blue is my favorite color, and then I want yellow and black because that shows that an area has been cornered off. (laughs) okay well when an area is cornered off with with yellow and black it kind of indicates maybe there's been a murder (laughs) so that might not be the best color combination in that sense and interestingly enough the color blue is an appetite suppressant so when you think of a lot of the restaurants there are not many restaurants or cafes that are out there that have the color blue Mm -hmm. as their core brand colour, because it is an appetite suppressant. However, you'll find a lot of those restaurants will have colours where food naturally, sorry, the colour naturally occurs in food, like Mm. green, brown, yellow, orange, red. Um, You might even have black, which is very much a neutral colour, whether people say it's a colour or not. Uh, In this case, let's talk of it as a colour. But When you have the color blue being an appetite suppressant, it's not a very good color for a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So when you understand the psychology of color, it means that you start making very discerning um, choices for your brand and then you bring in your personality. So if you have a personality that is the entertainer or the creator, your colors can be very bright and vibrant However, if you've got a personality, say, that is the ruler or the sage, you want more sophisticated, more uh, muted tones that would then bring about that feeling of the personality as well. Mm.
0: Debbie, we could talk about this for hours, but I think we've actually run out of time. So it's been great having you on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time out to chat with our listeners about brand and branding and and all the things that come in between um your book brand magic how to build a brand with personality where can we find it um
1: uh, yes. Well, th- firstly, thank you for having me. It's been fantastic. And as you can hear, I could probably talk with a mouthful of marbles under concrete on the, <laughs> the topic. So um, thanks for thanks for being patient with me. Um, yes. So the book, you can get it on Amazon um, or you could head to brandmagic.com.au. So thank you for that.
0: My pleasure. And if anyone's looking for someone who knows their stuff about, about brand and branding, Debbie is the absolute expert and you should get in touch if you're needing some assistance. She's got a great agency, White River, named after her hometown in South Africa, I found out before this chat. So what's the website,
1: Deb? Uh, whiteriverdesign.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much.